Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Living Waters Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Eve O'Brien. As a nurse, doula, childbirth educator, and a mama myself, I've witnessed firsthand the transformative potential that lies within the sacred journey that's bringing life into the world. Together, we will explore personal stories, important birth-related topics, dispel myths, and challenge societal norms all through a lens of faith. Get ready to be inspired, educated, and empowered as we strive to reclaim God's design for childbirth. Welcome to the Living Waters Birth Podcast, my friends. I am so happy to have you here. Before we jump in, I just have to say that this podcast is not meant to be taken as medical advice of any kind and does not substitute care from your doctor or midwife. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. If you are listening to this right now, I hope that you're having an amazing week so far. I have had a crazy last couple of weeks. My daughter sadly got hand, foot, and mouth from daycare. She goes a couple times a week, and it was really sad, so I kept her home this last week with me, which made it a little bit challenging to do work. However, it was really, really good to have those extra few days with her. She is just like toddler mode now it's crazy she's 17 months and I feel like even over the past couple of weeks her little personality has just started to show so much and she's talking a lot more she is telling us what she wants which is fun but if you're a mom of littles you can probably relate to this it's kind of crazy because like she tells us she wants to go outside now and it's like when they tell you exactly what they want you either have to say yes or no and if you say no you have to deal with the revolting (laughs) happens. So that's kind of been my life. I've been working hard to develop a birth course that is set to launch this winter and I will have continued updates with that um, as the next few weeks kind of approach. So I'm really, really excited. I've been in contact with a few ladies about being in my founding group for that course. If you're interested, please send me a DM. This is something that has been such a dream of mine for so long and it is in the works, you guys. So very exciting. Today, I am actually coming to you guys with a Q&A episode. So I put in my Instagram stories asking for people to just send me their birth questions and I'm going to address a few different questions that I got today. So it's a little bit late for some of them. Somebody messaged me that they're two weeks from their due date and it's two weeks later than they sent that. So I think actually exactly two weeks. So Juliana, if you're listening to this, your due date might be on the day that I'm recording this. Hopefully you're still pregnant and get to listen to this and maybe implement these things. But if not, I still think it'll be helpful for other mamas. So first question that I'm going to start with is one that I got about sweeping membranes. So what is it? What are the risks and benefits? Why would somebody choose to do it? So to start out, I'm just going to explain what this procedure is. So it is that it's a procedure. Um, Some physicians do it routinely during vaginal exams without asking for consent because they think that it's part of just like what you do when you give a vaginal exam, but it's not. It's actually a medical procedure. It is intended for 
inducing or encouraging labor. It is not technically a medical induction method, but it is intended to get labor started. So this is not the same thing for those of you wondering as rupturing your membranes. So they're sweeping your membranes, or it could also be called stripping your membranes, and then there's rupturing your membranes. Rupturing membranes is also, the technical term for that is amniotomy, and that is breaking the water. And so that's not what I'm referring to here when I talk about sweeping the membranes. What sweeping the membranes is, is a provider will do a vaginal exam or a cervical exam, and they will typically insert one or two gloved fingers in through the cervix. So the cervix has to be slightly dilated in order for them to do this. They'll insert fingers up through the cervix and they will kind of make a circular motion with their fingers that is meant to detach the inferior pole of the membrane. So your bag of water for anybody, I guess I didn't clarify that earlier. Your bag of water is what your membranes is. So that bag of amniotic fluid that baby is sitting inside, that is there inside of your uterus. And that's where your baby hangs out and lives your, your whole pregnancy. Sleeping the membranes is meant to detach that bag of water from the lower uterine segment. And that doesn't really mean a whole lot other than just they kind of take their finger and exactly what it sounds like, they sweep in between that bag of water and the uterus. And this action is meant to help your body produce prostaglandin. Now prostaglandin is a hormone that ripens the cervix and starts to get it more soft and pliable and ready for your body to go into labor. And it's thought that doing the sweeping of the membranes helps your body to produce more prostaglandin and therefore may start labor or encourage your body to get ready. So that's what it is. Now I'm going to take a look at some of the benefits and the risks. So benefits are, you know, just like it sounds like it's intended to start your labor. So if you're looking at a medical induction versus trying other things first, like sweeping your membranes, this is definitely less invasive than being admitted to the hospital, having cervical ripening agents like Cytotec or Cervidel inserted, and um, being ultimately put on Pitocin or doing other things that are involved in a medical induction. So this could be a good thing to try first before going, you know, straight to that. Let's be admitted to the hospital for an induction to have your baby. I was looking at a research study. So this is a Cochrane review with data from 44 studies looking at about 7,000 women who had their membranes stripped or swept. This is a very, very common thing to be done. I would say that, and this is anecdotal, I don't know the exact number, but the majority of women, I would say, especially if they're with an obstetric practice and giving birth inside of a hospital, tend to have their membrane swept at term, so 39 weeks and beyond to encourage labor to start, many of them without even realizing it. So it does appear to be effective when you're looking at this Cochrane interview. It's effective at promoting the spontaneous onset of labor, and women who had a membrane sweep were less likely to then go on to have a medical induction. However, the current evidence didn't suggest that that necessarily followed on to them having unassisted vaginal births. Sadly, taking a look at these studies, the data was actually kind of limited to compare the outcomes of membrane sweeping with other interventions or no interventions. So really the benefit is it could start labor and it's less invasive than a medical induction, but it's definitely not guaranteed to start labor. If it doesn't start labor, it could ripen your cervix to, you know, help your body kind of get ready. 
However, it's not without risks. So just like any intervention, there are some things to be considered before consenting to having this done. So some of the risks include uterine irritability, which is really, it could you know, produce that prostaglandin, your uterus could start contracting, but in a way that's really irregular and not actually productive or leading to labor. So you could have contractions that keep you from resting and that are, you know, noticeable enough for you to be potentially having to cope through them or just not be able to get the rest that you need. But that doesn't mean they're necessarily doing anything to change your cervix or get your body in labor so that you can meet your baby. Um, And that can just really lead to a lot of maternal exhaustion, both physical and mental. When you are having contractions and you're feeling them, but they're irregular and they're not actually labor, that can be just kind of a mind game and, you know, like I said, lead you to not getting good rest that you need for the time that you actually do go into labor. This procedure is also, like I said, less invasive than a full-out medical induction, but it's still invasive and it's pretty uncomfortable. Some women don't find it uncomfortable. Some women do. You know, just like everything, there's going to be a lot of variety in people's experiences. I will say I had this done several times because For those of you who know my story, I went to nearly 42 weeks pregnant with my daughter and I was looking at possibly having a medical induction. So I wanted to try to do membrane sweeps, you know, before consenting to a medical induction. And so we did. I had them done several times. For me, honestly, they were so invasive that I actually broke down in tears after one of them. Not necessarily because of the pain, but just because it felt like so unnatural and so harsh and rough. And it was painful for me. But that's not to say that it will necessarily be painful for you if you opt to have this done. Like I said, everybody is a little bit different. I found it personally more uncomfortable than actually giving birth. Another thing to consider is that it could possibly increase your risk for infection. Now, if your membranes are not ruptured, which they in this situation would not be because that's kind of the whole point of a membrane sweep, it's not a considerable risk, but anytime somebody puts their fingers up into your vagina and they're in your birth canal, it's going to disrupt your normal bacterial balance your microbiome and introduce bacteria that is not naturally there so it's just something to consider there's always a slight risk of infection when somebody's fingers are going up there there's also a slight risk that somebody doing this could break your bag of waters by accident and one study suggested about a 10 percent chance in women who had their membranes swept as compared to obviously a zero percent chance for women who didn't So that's just something to consider. When your membranes rupture before labor, that's called PROM or premature rupture of membranes. Different than P-PROM, which is preterm premature rupture of membranes, but all that PROM means is your waters break before you're actually in labor. And that's pretty much an unfortunate situation to be in because, you know, you're kind of put on a time clock. Your risk of infection goes up as soon as that bag of water is broken that was protecting baby from outside bacteria so if your chances of that happening go up with a membrane sweep it's just something to consider like it could disrupt your labor pattern and put your body in a place where your waters weren't ready to be broken but now they are and you're looking at needing to have your baby by a certain time due to infection risks 
You're also likely to experience a little bit of bleeding after a membrane sweep just because the cervix is such a sensitive and vascular part of your body, especially late in pregnancy. It's not necessarily something to be alarmed about. It's not dangerous, but it's just something something to be aware of. It's not unlikely for you to have a membrane sweep and look in your underwear and see some blood there. So I would say overall, a membrane sweep is something that, you know, if you're faced with hey, we're looking at having to have a medical induction for whatever reason. And when I say medical induction, by the way, to clarify, I don't mean an induction due to medical reasons. I mean, you know, you're nearing 42 weeks. Your provider is starting to say, hey, we're going to need to admit you to be like on Pitocin. When I say medical, I mean medical intervention. So it's going to be less invasive than that. And it could potentially start labor. So if you're weighing the risks and benefits between the two, I'd say it's worth a try. However, it is invasive. It can lead to some annoying things, potentially breaking your water, which we don't want. And it's usually unnecessary. So I would say I wouldn't personally recommend doing this unless you're like really nearing that what is considered a cutoff and you're looking at potentially having to face a medical induction. Otherwise, I just feel it's not worth the risk. But that is on an individual case-to-case basis. You know, you weigh the risks and benefits, you decide if it's right for you. But you should make sure that if you're consenting to vaginal exams late in labor or late in pregnancy, you need to make sure that you are being told if your provider is going to do this because sometimes they just do it and they don't ask you and that's not okay. Okay, moving on to the next question, which is what are some essentials needed for the big day? So this kind of depends, honestly, where you're giving birth. If you're giving birth at home, then a lot of the things you need are going to be there. If you're not, then you would ideally pack these things and have them with you. So I'm going to kind of treat this question like you're not giving birth at home because those kind of essentials like a home birth kit and things you would need are going to look a lot different than if you're giving birth in a hospital or birth center. If you're giving birth outside of your home, I would say essentials are the things that make you feel at home and most comfortable that are going to facilitate the labor process. So truthfully, most essentials that relate to the labor process have to do with the preparation beforehand. I would say that that is way more important than actually what you bring with you to wherever you're going to give birth, but there are some things you can bring that can make the process more comfortable. So I would say, A, I would highly recommend that you wear your own clothes. If you can wear like a gown or a robe, maybe like a pretty nursing bra, something that you feel good in and comfortable in, that is your own, I would definitely recommend that, especially if you're giving birth in a hospital. You know, like it is the moment you put on a hospital gown, you kind of are made to feel like you're a patient, you're sick. And again, not the same for everybody, but I would say the majority of women don't feel their best and most relaxed when they're in a hospital gown. So I'd recommend bringing some of your own things that you feel good in. I would say twinkly lights or like uh, battery operated tea light candles to kind of keep dim lighting a thing in your labor environment that would be really really good because especially if you're giving birth in a hospital those bright fluorescent lights really tend to pump up the adrenaline and just are not a good environment for giving birth in so lights to make the environment beautiful and cozy a speaker if you want to have worship music or um, just calm music music that you like i definitely recommend bringing a speaker and eye mask and earplugs potentially if you feel like you really need to tune out the rest of the world again whether or not you use them kind of depends on your labor and just how you're feeling i would say 
like hair ties or clips, chapstick, things to make you feel comfortable, like your hair is out of the way. And, you know, I'm a big chapstick person. It's like a joke between me and my friends and my husband. Like I'm constantly asking for my chapstick. So I would just say, you know, if that's going to make you feel more comfortable, it would me. So I recommend having that. If you can bring like a pillow or a blanket with you that's your own, that reminds you of a homey environment. A birth ball, I would say is huge. A lot of places like birth environments, birth centers or hospitals have these. But if you have one that you've been using all of pregnancy that you're comfortable with, I say, why not bring it? That is going to be great for movement all throughout labor. Another thing I would say is really important is like a water bottle and snacks. A lot of hospitals have a policy about eating in labor, but it's really not evidence-based if you're low risk. Me personally, if I was giving birth in a hospital setting, I would still bring snacks and just eat them anyways. And again, that's just me and it kind of depends on your individual situation, but I would definitely recommend having like some carby, maybe some protein rich snacks that are really going to give you fuel and energy during the labor process, but that are not heavy and like making you feel gross. And usually at a certain point in labor, women aren't interested in eating anymore, but in early labor, that's really good. Also just making sure that you're staying hydrated and have like a water bottle and things with you. And number one biggest thing um, is bring supportive people. <laughs> bring people who are going to remind you that you can do it when it gets hard. That is, I would say, more essential than even all of these other things. I would honestly say too that a lot of the essentials I wish I had when I gave birth related more to postpartum and less to actual like giving birth itself and just some things I wish that I really really had prepared and had with me off the bat are like peri balm so something that you can put on your perennial area just to kind of soothe it and make it feel better pad sickles so like ice packs that you can put in your underwear to help with swelling I would say a peri bottle that's easy to use so freedom mom i know sells one because it's kind of angled and that makes it a lot easier to kind of use and be able to you know aim it right because sometimes it can be tricky with those standard little plastic bottles to actually get good aim and they can be tricky to use so i'd say a non-hospital peri bottle some witch hazel pads to put in your underwear and like some mama diapers, honestly. So adult diapers are the best thing for postpartum. A lot of people just go straight to using pads, but I would say use diapers at first. They're so much easier the first couple of weeks postpartum. You just, you know, slip them on and then take them off. It's not like you have to do this whole like routine of changing and if you get blood on your underwear then you have to it's just a lot so i would say some mama diapers also like a haka for breastfeeding again snacks water to be near you if you're breastfeeding especially even if you're not and then comfy nursing pjs and things that you can relax in those would be my recommendations for some birthday essentials okay next question is best possible position to push and this is going to be a pretty quick and easy answer, honestly. The answer to this question is whatever position feels best for you. If you are having an unmedicated delivery, your body is going to intuitively favor one position or, you know, maybe you'll need to switch positions, but your body is going to know what it's doing. So you need to go in the position that feels best for you. My second answer to this question after that one, because that's not very straightforward, is not on your back. Again, if you are, if you don't have an epidural, and you are pushing and you're like, I want to be on my back. This is what feels best. Go for it. That is the case for some women. However, that's pretty rare. And that 
position specifically closes your pelvic outlet by about 30%. So it gives baby a lot less wiggle room and it increases your risk of perineal damage. It's just not the best position for you to be giving birth in. I saw this picture recently that was like an elephant giving birth. It was a cartoon, but it was like picture, you know, an elephant giving birth and you intuitively picture them standing up, right? You don't picture putting an elephant flat on their back with their limbs like flailing in the air to give birth because that's just not like a natural position to birth in. So I would say, first of all, whatever feels best for you, whatever is intuitive. Second of all, not on your back. To get a little bit more specific about types of positions to push in, hands and knees is a great one, or just forward leaning. Those are positions that a lot of unmedicated mothers tend to favor just because of the way that your pelvis opens in those positions. That can be a really, really helpful position to give birth in, and it can decrease your risk of tearing. I will say other good ones are like upright or squatting. However, there is a slightly increased risk of tearing with those positions just due to the pressure on your pelvic floor from the gravity that, you know, is going to be present in those positions. So I know for me personally, I gave birth in a squatting position, kind of like a reclined squat, and it was like the thing that felt best for me. So, you know, your pelvis and your baby work together. Your baby's like a key to a lock and the lock is your pelvis. So if you are like in one position and that's what feels best, keep going with it. For me, that was squatting. I tried to go in kind of a lunge. Like that runner's position is also another good one to push in, but that just didn't feel good. So I ended up giving birth squatting and I did tear, but that doesn't have to be the case for everybody, but those are also good positions. If you have an epidural, most likely, you know, the way it is traditionally done in a hospital setting is they put you on your back, put your feet up in stirrups and hold your legs back as you count to 10 and push three times with each contraction. That is a horrible way to push for both your pelvic floor and for your baby just oxygenation wise it's not a great way to push however if you like are truly numb and you cannot feel anything sometimes it's a good starting point um and i hate to say that but some moms do really need some assistance and help when pushing if they have an epidural in place but even if you have an epidural, you don't have to push on your back. So I don't want to make you feel like that's the only option. You can also push sideline, which is a lot better for you and your baby. Again, better for your pelvic floor, better just oxygenation wise for your baby. It doesn't compress your vena cava the way that pushing on your back does. You can also do closed knee pushing to kind of open up that pelvic outlet, which can be helpful. So you can also play around with different positions if you have an epidural in place. Don't think that just because you have an epidural means you have to push on your back. That's definitely not true. Okay, and this is my last question, which I said earlier, I feel so bad because it's been two weeks since I got this question, which means this mom is probably has approached her due date, if not past her due date at this point. And this is from my friend Juliana. We went to nursing school together. So hello, Juliana. Congratulations on expecting your first baby. This is so exciting. She says two weeks from my due date, any tips for first time unmedicated birth? And yes, I have a lot of tips. <laughs> I actually addressed this in another podcast episode, which is called Top Tips for Unmedicated Birth. And that covers a lot. But honestly, the majority of that episode is focused on the prenatal period. So I would say there's a lot of emphasis on like the things that you do to prepare yourself education wise mindset wise but just because you're close even like at your due date or beyond does not mean it's too late to start preparing so i would say 
be aware that just because it's your first baby does not mean it's going to be a bad experience or a super long labor. You don't have to be afraid that just because it's your first baby means it's going to be horrible. I hear that a lot. And honestly, when I was pregnant, I kind of felt like it's my first baby. So it's going to be really rough because that tends to be a trend, but it doesn't have to be that way. I would say you should be aware that first time mothers typically go past their due date, they usually lean closer to 41, 42 weeks versus that 40 week mark. Not always, but on average, I would expect to just go past and that will really help with your mindset. Not thinking like we reached the 40 week mark, where the heck is this baby? Because they're going to come right on time and that may not be at 40 weeks and zero days. (laughs) So you may go longer. You also might have a little bit of a longer labor Again, not always, but average first-time moms do have longer stretches of labor. So I would say prepare for that. Just prepare yourself for a little bit of a marathon. Again, that doesn't mean that it's going to be bad. Just know, like, you know, conserve your energy. Don't start paying attention to your labor when that first contraction hits. Ignore it as long as possible and make sure that you're resting as much as you possibly can in early labor. If you are giving birth in a hospital, I would say definitely labor at home as long as you possibly can until you're really, really in a good active labor pattern and like you need to be where you're giving birth. Definitely labor at home. The longer that you're in a hospital or even a birth center setting, the more susceptible you're going to be to interventions. And that leads me to my next point, which is just avoid the cascade of interventions if you can. So avoid an induction unless it's actually really medically necessary. Avoid avoid going to the hospital or your birthplace too early. Avoid as much intervention in your birth as you possibly can because that will make it a lot easier to have a more undisturbed and just overall unmedicated experience. One intervention tends to cascade into other interventions, which makes it harder to have the unmedicated, undisturbed labor that you might be wanting. So that's a thing. I would just learn to say no. Set yourself up for success right now. Know that it's probably going to be a little bit challenging. Just learn to say no. Even if, you know, there's a likelihood you're going to be pressured into different interventions that you don't want. And I would use the brains tool. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up. It's a decision-making tool for labor. But Make sure you know how to say no and weigh risks and benefits of different interventions because like I said, the less intervention, the better when it comes to having an unmedicated natural birth. I would say today is not too late to start doing mindset work and eliminating fear in labor, telling yourself that labor is normal, natural, holy, good, that it does not have to be scary. That's going to be really important to avoid that fear, tension, pain cycle that is more likely to end you up getting an epidural and other interventions, learning to relax and calm your nervous system as much as you can. I would say even just practice doing that outside of labor. Like anytime that you find yourself feeling anxious, feeling sensations in your body, just learning to like totally surrender to that and calm your nervous system as much as you can. I'm sure that you've heard this, but drink all the red raspberry leaf tea and eat all the dates that you can do the mile circuit, be walking, doing things to prepare your body these last couple of weeks is going to be huge. And then really just leaning into this time with the Lord. These last few weeks of pregnancy are one of the most 
insane times to learn surrender and trust because it can be such a mental game and it can feel like you're in the home stretch you don't know when things are going to start but there's such a beauty and mystery to birth and to your labor process the lord is always right on time and he knows exactly what you need he knows exactly what your baby needs so lean into him during these last few weeks Trust your intuition, but even more important than trusting your intuition is accepting guidance from the Holy Spirit. Um, letting him guide and direct all of your steps because he is in charge. He knows you. He knows your baby. He knows what you need. Don't be, afra don't be afraid to ask him boldly and see the way that he is going to show up for you because he will show up. Even if it looks nothing like you thought it would, he is in the business of answering prayers and he loves when we ask him boldly so that would be my advice for you thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode this was so fun to do a Q&A this was my first time ever doing this and I loved it because it just felt like sitting down and having a conversation um and that's my favorite thing to do is converse about birth so thank you for the people who sent these questions I was so happy I got to address these today and I look forward to speaking with y'all soon. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week, y'all. Thank you guys for tuning into this week's episode of the Living Waters Birth Podcast. And I will see you guys next time.